we've struggled a little bit at the end of the season in the front row and our depth chart was just getting a little bit thin. Now it's got an awful lot thinner. Ironically, might have a weaker sub bench on the front row than a Leinster would have. Subscribe to the Rugby Stream on the OTB Sports app now. Now then, you're welcome, Max. So the game at Croke Park is Limerick two points, Galway a point after just two minutes. We'll let that game settle down and we'll be across to Tommy Welch over the course of the next 70 minutes or so. We are turning to rugby. Liam Toland is on the line. Good afternoon. How are you doing, Joe? Yeah, very well. New Zealand 42, Ireland 19, six tries to three. In some respects, Ireland did the difficult thing at Eden Park, which is start well and uh, quell the initial onslaught. And then the onslaught came. Yeah, like Ireland did an awful lot of really good things. And in my notes as I was uh, watching the game here at home, I, I put the words like variety and uh, their attacking shape and the type of players that were getting on the vo- ball and the involvement. And Gibson Park had a really good platform. He he was able to go down the blind side quite a lot. They had a number of tip-on t- uh, plays. They had a number of plays with the tip back inside. Uh, Sexton chipped the ball twice came off once and was unlucky not to come off a second time, which was going to lead to a possible score on, on the interception. So it was an awful lot of really good stuff. But at the same time, there was an awful lot of really good stuff the All Blacks were doing. Um, we saw a different, and we talked about this last week, Joe, we, we felt that one of the key differences in our victory last year was the All Blacks looked a bit tired, but they also weren't physical, as physical as you'd expect them to be. Uh, and they relied entirely on their skill set. Well, uh, yesterday they were a very different physical outfit. Um, they they targeted the breakdown. I think we should discuss a little bit about that. They also targeted a number of things like how they were defending the Irish, um, that whole pivot play around our, our first uh, out half, Sexton or, or be it Carberry. And then they did things like when they were in possession, a number of really interesting things I thought. They carried a lot. I know that the try that Savea scored uh, off Smith when he, he ran up through the, the, the breakdown, that wasn't the first time an all-black carried the ball, picked at the base of a rock and just carried straight up the middle. So that, that, was a, that was a subtle change in, in what the all-blacks are doing. Um, and they're also finding, and going back to Savea again, they're also finding the first forward receiver. They might, we used to call it back in the day a face ball. They might put the ball out in front of maybe one or even two, and they'd hit the third uh, all-black carrier. And when that third all-black carrier was Savea, and he was running at ring rolls, yeah, boy, that was a pretty frightening sight. So they did an awful lot of really good things, the all-blacks, even in the time when Ireland were playing well. But I suppose the key differential in that time is Gibson Park had, had a slight go forward, and all of a sudden the sea change happened, and the breakdown became cynical, it became horrible, it became violent. Um, and I would, at this outset, Joe, raise the question, is it too much for one man to take control of that, that breakdown? One referee, and I was on to a referee this morning, and I was trying to inquire, how much can he actually share with the, his assistant uh, referees? And there is a sharing of the role. But at the level these guys are playing at yesterday, I think it's, it's, it's beyond one man to control all that's going on because there's so much stuff going on at every breakdown yes. and there's typically about 170 of them match and it has an influence on the outcomes of games. Well that's interesting because uh, I was going to ask you about the breakdown and, and it's hard not to think Joe Schmidt had some influence somewhere because he's uh, so obsessed with the breakdown and he's, he's so um, adept at coaching the breakdown but regardless you're talking there about there being so much going on for one referee to keep track of. Certainly Andy Farrell afterwards felt it was a question of interpretation of the laws. So what he said, Liam, was we need some answers. It was quite forthright on the breakdown. We need some answers. There is a depth to a rook 
and there is an entry to a rook that we need confirming. Let's say it that way. Once it's confirmed, we'll get our act in order. There are a few things we need clarified. So what is he talking about there? And does he have a point? And how, is this more interpretation or, as you maybe suggest, also a matter of, well, one man only has two eyes to see everything? Yeah, I would say in the first thing, there was some very obvious stuff like uh, Scott Barrett, the, the outlaw Josie Wales. What he did to Peter O'Mahony was definitely, that was right in front of the referee. That, yeah. was, that was cynical, horrible, filthy, dirty play. It's up to the referee if he sees it to establish what card comes out. But certainly a card should come out of that one. Absolutely, like if that's totally. If 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 no matter what numbers on your back, if you are performing the role of the scrum half at the breakdown, so typically it's a number nine, but it can be a number six. You you can't get hit, you can't get touched. You have, you have the freedom to play that ball. Scott Barrett came in and smashed a manny. A manny, to my mind, wasn't part of the breakdown. Therefore, was the deemed the de facto scrum half. The um, the All Blacks did an awful lot. They they came through and they 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 engaged players that weren't in the ruck an awful lot. So they were powered through. Like when they counter ruck, that's one thing because you're powering on. But they came in and cleaned out. Maybe they came in through the gate, the famous gate. But they carried out and they targeted loose players like uh, Joshua Van der Fleer, etc., to tie them up, to try and soak them in, to prevent Ireland putting a green wall of say 13 players in defence. That's cynical play, but it's clever play. And it requires a referee to change the behaviour of the players, which is what's the role of the referee. Now, if there's too much going on, now the Scott Barrett one, that referee should have seen that. But all the stuff was scragging guys. Well, you saw one stage Porter swinging an arm, and I think it was probably Scott Barrett again, but it might be Brody Retallick. It was one of the one of the beefy guys anyway. And he was swinging an exhausted right arm to try and break free. He wasn't in the ruck, yet an all-black was holding him and keep him fixed in. So the All Blacks had a game plan, right? Now, there's a couple of things in this. One is how we referee this and how we interpret the laws. From my mind, there's no need to... I think Farrell was being very diplomatic in what he said. There's no need to go back and review what are the laws of the game because what the All Blacks did... And you would expect Ireland to do a version of that too. So all teams are doing some of it, but the All Blacks are particularly good at doing it and they're particularly good at getting away with it, especially at home. And you have to ensure that that is 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 refereed okay and and so, so yeah. sorry to interrupt briefly for you then that sounds like a case of just poor referee and not seeing blatant uh, infringements as opposed to in, an interpretation issue oh, i don't think this is interpretation i think this is th- i think this is either referee you know, had an off day and makes mistakes, which referees do, players do as well. So I don't think we should be debating policy on a referee's mistake. We should be debating policy on what is the outcome of fixtures and how is the breakdown influencing it in the wrong way. And I would say yesterday, there was an awful lot of what the All Blacks did and got away with it. Flip side, I could show you stuff the Irish players are doing too, you know. But if we talk purely about the All Blacks, you would say there's an awful lot of things that they did and they got away with it, that the referee either missed because, like, the speed at which this stuff is happening yeah. is, like, you, you ha- and my instinct when I was watching it was, of course, in the first instance when I saw, it, again, what do they call him, the outlaw Josie Wales, when Scott Barrett came in and cleared up Peter Manny, I was livid. And then you kind of have to have some sense of acknowledgement that is there too much for the referee to be managing at that level? The speed at which these guys are working at and the, mm. and all that. And the All Blacks definitely had a game plan to say, we got bullied in Dublin. We ain't allowing that happen. We we flirted with that concept last week and the All Blacks managed to do that. Now, there's another thing as well, which I think is fixable. I think Ireland deserve huge credit in how we have evolved our attacking game. Now, 
we have switched our instinct from a total rock focus under Joe Smith, evolving into a, an attacking shape. Mm. And there was examples that I saw yesterday where players under Joe Smith would not have peeled away into an attacking shape. They would have secured the ball. Okay, And there's, there was a number of those examples. Um, there was one where it was in that calamitous 15-minute period of arc, Box kicked, I think Carberry caught the ball. Carberry was engulfed by a bunch of animals. Now, Carberry ain't the kind of guy you want to leave in in the midst of, of animals. like. And James Ryan, and I think it was Sheehan, both kind of peeled away back into an attacking. They were inside their own half, but their instinct under Joe Smith would be kill those All Blacks to ensure A, that Carberry survives, and B, the ball remains in possession. They peeled away. And all of a sudden, the All Blacks counter-rocked that. Carberry has followed. And ultimately, that ended up in a score, I don't know, maybe a minute or so later. That's an example of how the Irish players have shifted their, their natural instinct under the greatest of pressure into, I need to get back into my attacking shape, where in that moment, you'd say, hang on, that's my old half, who's probably the lightest, most timid player on the pitch. And that's no disrespect to him. That's just his position. He needs my absolute physical protection because mm. he's under pressure. And in that moment, I said, wow, that's telling me something about how the Ireland are prioritizing the breakdown at that level. Now, that needs to be fixed, because if you have Irish players going into contact, being swallowed up by a bunch of All Blacks and then counter-rocked on top of that, it is not possible to slow the All Blacks down then. It is not possible to neutralize their skill set then. And that's one area that I think Ireland can certainly fix or address Mm. and make differences to. but it does beg the question, do we shift back our focus to a kind of an expanding game? Yeah. Or do we understand in an 80-minute match, there's times you get beaten up. And in those times, you have to be loyal to the attacking shape. But you also have to read the room. Like yeah. what Gibson Park did tapping the penalty as an example. Like, gee, because if I was a forward, I'd say, look, I'm, I'm absolutely exhausted. Mm. Give me time. Mm. Let us get into the far 22. Let's control the clock field position and and eke yeah. out a score. The last thing we needed in that moment. In in those two examples, the last thing we needed was Gibson Park tapping that ball. But equally the last thing we needed was James Ryan and Sheehan leaving Carberry and getting into attacking shape. And poor old Carby then gets killed. Mm. No? Yeah. There are certain first principles that are unavoidable. Let's talk about the forwards a little bit. Paul O'Connell said overnight it was poor last night, there's no doubt about it. And he bemoaned the five lost lineouts, which is a bad night at the office. I suppose what's more of a trend is the Irish scrum. And we touched on this during the week and you've talked about your concerns. There is maybe a lack of emphasis on uh, the Irish scrum at almost an institutional level. And Bernard Jackman in his piece in the Sunday Independent bemoans what's happened over much of the last decade and cites Greg Feek initially coming in to develop talent and then leaving that position and wonders to what extent he has been replaced. And now suddenly, 18 months out from World Cup, we are where we are. And that is very threadbare. And if Kelleher or, um, or sorry, excuse me, if um, Porter or Furlong uh, go down, we're suddenly in, in very, very big trouble. And what's more worrying still, I suppose, Liam, is even with Sheehan there and Porter there and Furlong there, the New Zealand scrum still had a huge amount of success. And, you know, Jackman says he wouldn't have them in the top five scrummaging sides in the world necessarily. So you kind of look at yeah, Like, I, I don't know what Andy Farrell can do to fix that in the next year. 
I suppose it's it, it's a sliding scale of challenges because in the first instance it was a kind of a perfect storm. You kind of like in the week, like you could argue Ireland with only forty in their travelling squad. Should they have brought fifty, for example? Should they have brought sixty? Should they have brought seven? You know, and to lose the amount of players that Ireland lost through the COVID, uh, through through transitioning from Ireland getting stuck in airports, and you kind of and then you you turn to Michael Bent and you kind of go. Wow, he could he could be talking out for Ireland, hmm. and you kind of go. It is a bit of a perfect storm in that sense. I yeah. think we have to frame it in that way in its own right, right? That those circumstances are unlikely to repeat themselves. But I would say, as I'm developing the thought in my mind, that you've got to give Andy Farrell enormous credit for how he reacted um, after the game. Um, you know, he wasn't looking for excuses. I don't think he's that type of character. But he said, uh, having it ease. Someone asked him uh, after the game. You know. Are you lucky that you're not playing the Maoris this Tuesday or Wednesday, you know, and uh, as opposed to next week? And he, he said, having it easy, is that what we want? And clearly there's an ambition where he wants his coaching staff to be tested. He wants the players, the logistics of it all to be tested, the players to be tested. And we mentioned again last week how the fringe players, the guys who are still a long way off that level, um, he wants them to be tested at the elite level. So he's now in the middle of a probably the most difficult rugby experience he his management and indeed all the players are ever going to have is it likely that they're going to face these challenges again that all said i think that there has been a sea change in how we want our props to play yes we have a freak called kian healy who could scrummage he could line out lift he could counter up he could catch he could he was you know for 10 15 years he's been phenomenal tight furlan is of that ilk but the likes of Mike Ross, the value of a Mike Ross is just enormous. Like Mike Ross wasn't the most comfortable rugby footballer, but his value was immense. And I think there has been, whether it's just the general public who tired of the value of scrums or is the IRFU in a sense. But I think we need set piece players first. And if they can play rugby beyond that, that's a that's an added bonus. Right. We've been probably looking to the swashbuckling front row players before getting the scrummaging bit right. Like someone like John Ryan um, in Munster, super, super rugby player and a super a super prop. Never really got the huge value that I think he, he deserved. There's an example of a guy who does a really good job at set piece time, uh, but isn't a Tyke Furlong, isn't a Kean Healy, and probably doesn't get the the, um, the merits what he does. Another, uh, O'Toole coming on on Saturday, like that's amazing to think like, you know, he's definitely in his development phase, but to see him like how many props, tighted props get to play the All Blacks in Eden Park, like it's outrageous. He's he's a very in a very select group. So the lessons being learned are huge as well. Going into the into what you were referring to about what Bernard Jackman was talking about, that's an institutional thing. And I think I would agree with you. I think the general rugby public has been blinded by the great St. Michael's school um churning out back rows and second rows. Um we have to be very hungry about how we rebuild our front row options. And we seem very, very threadbare, mm. very, very threadbare. And players like Dennis Buckley, for example, and Connacht, who maybe he's not playing at the level he was playing four or five or six years ago. He hasn't got a shot at it at all. There's, there's younger players who, who are coming in. At what point should they be fast-tracked into the senior side? These are all troubling challenges. But if we revisit a, a storm like this next year, well, we're going to lose games that we shouldn't be losing because of it. Yeah. Uh, stay with us, Liam. I suspect you might be interested in the next update though as well. Tommy Welch is at Crow Park. We're 18 minutes gone. Tommy, uh, Limerick were well ahead. It's deficit now back to three. 
Yeah, well, they just, that just went wide. It looked like it was going over the bar. It's eight points to four, 18 minutes gone. So, listen, it's very much open in the full in the full forward line for Limerick. They start off with five points on the trot within a couple of minutes. Galan scored three. Seamus Flanagan scored two. Really firing on all cylinders. It's kind of gone a lot more physical now for Galway Park. Mannion is after coming into the game. Um... Ronan Glenn is after scoring two great points at midfield and so is Tom Monnan the number 10 two guys who look very very similar here's Kyle Hayes in now to stretch it out again to nine points to four a five point lead very much an open game they are going mostly man to man I would say Joe but um, Limerick look very very comfortable even at these yeah. early stages but in fairness to Galway they are putting it up to him Park Mannion is probably the best uh, performer uh, in defence but very wide very wide open spaces inside I'm not watching as closely as you television scoreboard has it at 9-5 what does the Crow Park scoreboard have Galway at? Uh, 9-4 ok yeah, you, and and you reckon you, it's 4 do you? sorry no I actually have it it's 9-5 Right. Oh, I have it at five. Sorry, I was looking at the scoreboard. No, it's nine five. You're right. Nine five. Okay. Glenn has two, Mon has two, and Conor Cooney is after scoring a free. But oh, yeah. Boy. So listen, you wouldn't know. Like th- these games, it looked like Gal or Limerick going to run away with it, Joe. But sometimes if you can stay in the game, in the game, and suddenly then you can start getting cold feet, like the Limerick lads. You know, when it's so easy at the start. Yeah. Suddenly it turns into a battle, and you're like, what's going on here? So listen, the, the longer they stay in this game, uh, Galway, the better it is. Tommy, thanks for the time being. 20 minutes gone. Limerick 9, Galway 5. We're talking rugby with Liam Toland. Our rugby coverage and off the ball is with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. I suppose another point, Liam, if we're looking at this whole game and trying to do a full analysis, uh, remiss of us not to mention uh, just those careless moments in possession where Ireland effectively gifted New Zealand tries because even the stats are not insignificant when you think of the scoreline. So Ireland had 58% possession. They had 60% territory. Uh, defenders beaten Ireland 15 New Zealand 14 uh, offloads New Zealand 4 Ireland 8 and penalties New Zealand gave away 15 Ireland gave away 10 if I got you to look at the stats first and the scoreboard second you'd be quite taken with that but it doesn't take New Zealand long to score a try as we know another stat Joe is we, we scored three tries and we had you know arguably two more tries that were Jesus, as close to as close to tries as you could possibly think of. So we could have come out of that fixture having lost and in many ways been beaten badly in certain aspects of our game and still scored five tries in Eden Park. Now, that's a phenomenal, you know, like, I, that's why I'm so troubled this morning. I was trying to think of how would I actually frame this, yesterday, uh, the fixture. Um, and there, there's, I think, probably one of the key things here is, as I've already referred to, is the, the instinct to switch from a kind of an all-out rocking team into an evolving team that can play a variety of games and the risk that lies therein okay and if the natural instinct is to hunt for an offload and hunt for space and do the the footballing stuff under the most severe of pressures well we've learned that we're not quite there we've learned that in that cauldron of the most severest of pressures and the all blacks did that and and you know the all blacks I suppose in 12 months time you're going to be infinitely better than they currently are but they put the irish skill set under huge pressure yeah. and in those moments now i don't know whether the ball by the way has any impact in it uh, or not but they, they certainly the new zealanders are more comfortable in those moments than the irish were now is that a lesson worth learning now absolutely and i would take a huge amount of positivity from the fixture i know the country right. is depressed and whatever else but i would take a huge amount of positivity what we have we have tried our running game that has been evolving it came into a, a 
black wall of pressure and it broke down. And a couple of things broke down, like the the break, the, the act of physical breakdown I was talking about, like that's worthy of probably shown itself. But yeah. that how Ireland needs to look at that and, and shift its instinct towards that. I gave you an example, the one with yeah. James Ryan and Shima. Um, the decision-making process when Sexton wasn't on the field, that Gibson Park tap penalty and other decisions were made. The James Ryan penalty, I think he was very, very unlucky to concede that penalty um, uh, when Scrum Half Smith was was messing around with the ball, um, but should would what lesson can Ryan learn from that if he faced the same thing again? Would he communicate different to the referee before he, he bit in on on the chance? There was errors and mistakes that started to arise when the All Black pressure became ferocious. There are lessons really worth learning now, mm. absolutely worth learning now, because it gives the, the management and the players time to adjust. Okay, if we played against that level of physicality, our game plan might might come unstuck. What do we do if that happens? What do we do if we concede a soccer punch like that try from Reese? What do we do? Do we abandon our game plan or do we adjust it accordingly? And I think they're the lessons at the level these guys are playing at that are really worthwhile learning in this pressure cooker. Mm. The pieces that were really worry me is um, how we got bullied in many ways. Now, I talked about James Ryan last week about the importance of him imposing himself on the fixture. And if you want an example of imposing on the fixture, look at Josh van der Fleer and say, that guy is just world-class, phenomenal in everything he's doing. So, if we turn around and say guys are tired, well, how does Josh van der Freer perform like that? Yeah. He's supposed to be tired. So what is the what's the what's allowing him to achieve that and others not imposing? So James Ryan at times isn't like we really miss, uh, and I mentioned it last week, uh, Henderson, that type of old school second row. I thought Henderson against Munster, by the way, in Ravenhill, uh, or whatever they call it, uh, a couple of weeks back was phenomenal. You know, old school stuff, but played rugby when the opportunity came his way. And we desperately need second rows who can do that because we're missing that. We're missing. And you saw Brody Retallick, um and his and Whitelock, the impact they, they did. Stealing lineouts, double teaming around the fringes, um, bullying whenever any Irish jersey came away. I think didn't, didn't uh, Brody Retallick tackle uh, ring rows at one stage out in the middle of the park? You know, that's what you want to see James Ryan doing. Mm. So there's, there's, we want that reboost again. The scrum we've mentioned is an issue, and the lineout, I've no doubt, yeah, will be fixed. Yeah, uh, like the breakdown of the lineout can be fixed. The scrum is an issue if the personnel aren't there. Um, and I think there's an awful lot of really good, valuable lessons learned yesterday. And then the other issue: what if Johnny Sexton isn't there? That's a, like, I, I, I genuinely think of all the players I've seen. I think Frawley looks like the guy who can play rugby, has the the head for it at the level he's playing. We won't know until he's absolutely tested um, and has the physicality to actually play the rugby the way Farrell wants to play. Uh, I'm not entirely sure what I see in Carberry is a guy who even, I know it's 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 only a snapshot, but the, the video was on in the in the dressing room at halftime um, and Carberry was sitting there listening away to whoever was, was leading the talk. You want your 10 to just step up and take absolute bullish ownership of of and all quarterbacks the best in the world all out hacks the best in the world is the same they may they may take control in a subtly different way one might shout and scream others might be quiet but you want that at this stage 
Uh, I assume Carberry will start. I assume, by the way, and we've had more controversy on the um, yeah, I'll come to that. Concussions, yeah. you know, when uh, when Heffernan went into contact, uh, I'm we'll, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll come to that in a moment. But yeah, you can finish the Carberry point. We, we're assuming he's starting, but then Andy Farrell was at pains to say, "Well, Sexton hasn't been ruled out yet," which which almost whether Sexton plays or not, I think it shows the um, sense of reliance on Sexton that even after. Uh, failing HIA1 that Farrell does not want him ruled out at all. Okay, there's a couple of issues. I think Frawley, I think for me, Frawley, I'm beginning my instinct, my natural kind of, I think Frawley looks like a guy who's beginning to say, I think that guy is a fellow I could play with. You know, he he strikes me as a confident guy. He's physical, he can play, he can kick, he can change his game plan. I'm not seeing the same in Carberry. Now, uh, I just don't know, is he going to... Now, you have to forgive both Carberry, all the other halves. They're, they're very little pitch time, like, you know, between all the injuries, like, Frawley's obviously got almost no pitch time as a 10, and Carberry's had very little pitch time because of all his injuries. You know, he played in Paris for, against France, having not played in, you know... So he's very little rugby in him, so it's very difficult to judge. But my own kind of instinct would suggest I'd nearly take a look at Frawley on, on this tour. Interesting. Um, Liam, can you stay with us a moment? Just a very quick ad break. I do want to ask you about the HIA concussion situation, which has caused much consternation. Back in just one second, the latest at Crow Park, we'll have a chat with Tommy at halftime, but it's Limerick 12, Galway 8, four-point lead after 28 minutes. Back in one moment. Limerick 13, Galway 12, 32 minutes in the clock. Tommy Welch with us at halftime. Liam Toland uh, patiently waiting as we uh, finish up thoughts on the New Zealand win against Ireland. So this tour has quickly uh, made concussion a big talking point once again, Liam. I suppose three incidents really. There's the Jeremy Lockman one, which we discussed on Wednesday. And subsequent to that, uh, New Zealand rugby conducted an investigation and concluded Lockman shouldn't have returned to the field of play. I mean, what's remarkable about the Lockman situation is how clear cut the rule is and how clearly it was broken. The World Rugby guidelines are is that if a player is showing any signs of a concussion on the pitch, then they don't even take the HIA. They are just simply out of the game. Uh, Lockman was very visibly showing signs of concussion and somehow the request for a HIA went in. He passed the HIA, which brings, I think, the validity of the HIA into question once again, and he came back onto the field. And it seems, and we're not quite sure why this is the case, but it seems it was only at half-time that the video of Lockman looking very unstable and falling over was brought to the attention of the Irish medical team. It was only at half time they seemed to see that video. And it also seems that the independent doctor who carried out the HIA never saw the video of Lockman uh, looking visibly concussed on the field and so went ahead with the HIA. It seems in part it's because some of the same infrastructure isn't around a game that isn't a full on test which doesn't seem overly satisfactory. And Brendan Fanning asked the question in the Sunday Independent, well, who from the Irish camp did the recce and why were they happy with the lack of tech facilities? And then we had Dave Herfernan yesterday, similar carry to Lockman. Uh, He was assessed initially on the uh, pitch and uh, subsequent to that played on for a couple of uh, minutes, two and a half minutes. He scrummaged, cleaned, carried, and then he was called ashore. And as Brendan Fanning said in his piece again, mercifully, he didn't make a tackle in that time frame. Uh, seemingly, there was communication between the Irish medical team and the independent matchday doctor over the video evidence, and the latter decided to take the player off. So, again, stayed on probably for two and a half minutes too long. And then on Sexton, everybody saw the incident. He failed his HIA 1, and he has subsequently passed his HIA 2, and it seems if he passes HIA 3, 
over the coming days, then uh, technically he's allowed play on Saturday, whereas the likes of Heffernan and now um, Lockman are out for 12 days. So I think technically there's a likelihood Sexton will be available. As for instinctively, whether people think it's right or wrong, he plays, that's a, a greyer matter. Particularly the Lockman case, it calls a lot of things into question, doesn't it? I find it very, very troubling. And we talked about this during the week and I wasn't committal to one thing or another because I'm not aware of what's happening under the stand. I give you, I remember when the, when the, the new policy came out, um, a bunch of us uh, involved in commentary were brought to the um, to the Aviva Stadium. We were, we were walked and talked through the the process as was then um, the HIA process and uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I was under the impression then, uh, well, to start about that the RFU were determined to, to to follow the guidelines and do what was right. Okay, now one could debate the guidelines in the first instance. This sort of stuff brings those guidelines into distribute straight away. That said, my understanding at the time was that there was the technology that there, there's, there is a video technology available to the medical staff who will be able to see. So in other words, if you, Joe, are the doctor and I'm the, the video nerd, we'll say, and we sit beside each other and you're going out to the pitch, I will be able to review what has happened in the, in, the, in the last 30 seconds, 40 seconds regarding that player. And I'll be able to communicate that to you uh, over the wire as you're going out on the pitch. So by the time it, it takes Joe to cross the far side of the pitch, 30 seconds or yeah. a minute, whatever, yeah. uh, you will be aware, I'm telling you, I said, this guy's got a, he got a double hit. Like Hepburn and I'm sitting here in Limerick. I saw it. I know. I saw him going to double hit. I saw that he didn't get up. And when he did get up, I saw him wobble. Now I'm, thousands of miles away so my understanding was that that was the by the time the medical staff get out there they're aware of what might have happened to this player before they even get to meet him that makes a lot of sense now if that was what i understood was happening it's clearly not happening now or if it is that they're ignoring it i can't imagine for a moment they're ignoring it but what you've just described is appalling at a multi-billion euro industry that we have players exposed to that type of outcome and we don't have some sort of technology to go well what happened to this guy why is he under pressure so i'm really troubled by the whole thing and what it does is it questions everything then because if sexton is cleared fit based on the protocol my own instinct is telling me it would be appalling to see if he plays at the weekend considering he came off because of a hit to the head and he failed the first test and if he subsequently passes future ones i think that's an appalling look i think mm. there's a lot lot of problems with what we've been experiencing the last uh, the last 10 days or so yeah because whatever about the second test against new zealand if we fast forward 18 months and johnny sexton was to fail hia one in a World Cup game and then passed HIA 2 and HIA 3 and there was a World Cup quarter or semi-final, then I think we both know the likelihood of Johnny Sexton playing in World Cup quarter-final or semi-final if he's allowed to and if he's clear to is that he would play. And so again, that brings not so much Andy Farrell into question because he could argue very strongly that he's, he's, he's abiding by the law set down by people who have medical knowledge that most of us don't have. So I'm just following the rules and I'm entitled to play him, so I'll play him. And, and, and you could argue he's, he's within his rights to do that because it can't be up to each, it can't be left to coaches to see, well, you know, are they just going to go a step beyond what they're required to do in, in the interest of player welfare? Because most coaches 
winners are in the business of winning. So it calls the HIA system into question once again. And, you know, on the Lockman and Heffernan once, I mean, we're using the phrase technology. Let's just remind ourselves we're talking about television. You know, it's like we're not sending people to the yeah, moon a here. Phone, a mobile phone will get you there. Like, but that, see, that was my understanding when I went to that brief. And I said, yeah. Bravo to the RFU. They've gone to trouble bringing us in and they're, they're walking us through the whole thing. And that, that's, that's pretty good. They're, they're making an effort. And I, I, it was a great few hours and I, I listened intently. But I certainly got that, in, that impression that the doctor, when they arrive in the scene of the incident, will have the value of what would have happened to that player before they even get to that scene. So they'll already go, oh, it's an ankle injury. Oh, like that. Did you see the Australia-Wales uh, game yesterday when the Australia fullback Ariel came down and landed on his left hand and it looks like his, his forearm just snapped. Oh, my, it was horrific. But like they would have known by the time they got out there that it's a forearm problem because they would have, got, they would have been able to see it, you know. So it's especially important when it's not a bone, but when it's actually the head. So if you take Heffernan as an example, like, how can I see that here and the medical team struggle to see that down there? And that's a real problem. A real problem. Yeah, it's bizarre. I don't I genuinely don't understand the, uh, what happened or what's not happening there. It, it just makes no sense. And what about that point then on asking coaches almost to go a step beyond the protocol so there's every likelihood it seems if he's passed HIA 2 I presume he's a good chance of passing HIA 3 we're then at a point where the rules are saying to Andy Farrell well this player is past fit he's you know absolutely entitled to select him we're kind of asking Andy Farrell to just exercise what he you know someone could argue is undue caution I mean like how far do you want to go do I not play him again in the third test where does it end Exactly. It's not a good look because Sexton is, he'll be 37, won't he, next week? Yeah, um, 38, I think. Oh, 37, 37, sorry, 38, the World Cup. Yeah, 37. He comes, he, he's obviously comes off the pitch a lot with injuries and stuff. So it's not a great look uh, that your marquee player keeps coming off the pitch injured. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing is, in isolation, if this was the only issue on the tour, you would say, okay, that makes the decision a little a little less controversial. But when you back it up to the previous couple of instances, now now I think I think the Irish management are in a really difficult position because they have in in many ways the previous two concussions haven't been managed as well as they should have done. We accept that, don't we? Yeah. Um, so now the third one, you're kind of going, guys, you got to, you might have to go the extra mile here to do the right thing because the game doesn't need this controversy because it'll be a talking point and it'll be a talking point with our player. So whether they've made a rod for their own back is another, you know, yeah. that'd be a little harsh. But I, I agree with you. It absolutely should not be like... Andy Farrell's decision here it's, it's an impossible decision to make and it definitely shouldn't be the players so who then makes that decision and maybe out of all of this we'll get some new appointment that will manage a, a more independent independent person I don't know yeah. but it looks horrible and it's I think I think he shouldn't play that but that's my own personal opinion I have no access to his medical I haven't a clue if, if I have to take on face value that if he's clear declared fit he's fit you know based on all the, the best medicine but the problem is the last two declarations haven't been properly done. Therefore, you now question everything, don't you? Sure do, unfortunately. Liam, we're out of time. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. No worries. Take care.